Welcome back to another episode of the RAG Report podcast, my daily bulletin show where I bring to you recruitment owners, advisors, suppliers, even investors across the global industry who are prepared to give up some of their time and expertise to help us all navigate through COVID-19, find out what the hell is going on in the world um, so that we all come out of this pandemic stronger together. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Adam Gordon, who's the founder of Candidate ID. This is a recruitment tech business that are positioned in a, in a way that is uh, right in a niche of their own. They're, they're helping in-house and potentially agencies as well nurture candidate pipelines at a level that no other technology has ever done. Uh, Adam's got a really strong brand on LinkedIn. He's always talking and he, well, he was flying around the world, which is something we'll find out about. Um, but he's been a, he's very active and he's always out there to help and support. So someone I wanted to find out how he's coping and what he's been seeing and, and what he thinks is going on in the world. Before I step into the show, I want to mention our sponsor, Rise Recruitment Ventures. This is a, a brand new investment business on the market that's looking to actively right now invest and support both startups and early stage recruitment agencies. They are, it's founded by two guys that have built and sold a business that was worth over 20 million when they exited in 2016 and now want to help the next generation learn from everything they've done and build world-class businesses that they can grow and sell inside in, in oh, a quicker time frame than 10 years. So John and Alex are there now to give you both their capital, but their expertise. If you're a recruitment owner thinking, you know what, I, I'm going to do, I'm going to do well. I'm going to grow a business anyway. But you think you'd like to have some extra power behind you, then get in touch with these guys. Do it via www.riserv.co.uk today and schedule a call. It's as simple as that. Right back to the show, Adam. Uh, welcome to the Rag Report. Thanks so very much for having me. Um, I'm honoured to be part of this. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. Um, what I uh, well, I start every episode of the Rag Report with the same question is, can you just, for the listeners, paint the picture? What the hell is your life like right now? I feel really, really bad saying this, but my life is more relaxed than it has been in 10 or more years since I started working for myself. In the equivalent period of this lockdown last year, I had done 18 flights. Wow. Um, obviously, I've done zero flights this time. And so uh, I've got so much more time. I've got less bags under my eyes. Um, and uh, I've, I've, also, I've also, here's another thing. I've got, my daughter's three years old. I've really got to know her well. Um, and, and quite honestly, I hadn't, I feel ashamed about this. I hadn't up until now because my wife and I tend to, sort of divide and conquer at the weekend and I do things with our son and she does things with our daughter. So um, there's been, it's been very life changing, this experience. I feel, of course, devastated about all the problems that this has caused for um, a lot of people, you know, health problems. We've had people dying. We've got businesses going bust and people out of work. And that's really, really shocking. So uh, you know, I, I do, I do feel a bit bad when I say that I feel relaxed, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that on the basis that it uh, takes anything away from the gravity of the scenario. Yeah, and I think, look, at the end of the day, mate, the, the, we all we're all aware of what's going on. I think it's it's it'd be uh, it'd be ridiculous to to not consider that. But at the same time, I'm a believer that we've got to focus on our own environment, right? We've got to try and be positive and control what we can control. And it sounds like you've been getting value from your own environment in a, in a way that you probably weren't before. 
Absolutely, and I, I, you know, I started my career in 1999, and I've got, you know, I, I started in recruitment in 1999, and I'm from um, a vintage where I was told you really need to try and be in front of people as much as possible. You need to be in the room with them. You need to shake their hand. You need to, you know, see the whites of their eyes. And I think I'd probably carried that kind of way of working on a little bit longer than I should have done. I didn't need to do 88 flights last year. I didn't need to do 104 flights the year before. With hindsight, I probably needed to do about half of those, maybe maximum. So I'm going to completely change the way that I'm working and living uh, based on having really understood a, a different way of doing it. I mean, my kids are my kids are nearly one's nearly six and one's three, and and this is the first time since they've been born that I've been so present at home. Um, so it's, it's been, yeah, it's definitely going to change. I'm not going to go back to flying every single week. That's not going to happen again. No, I like that. What, what's your routine in, a, in an average day now look like? Well, <laughs> it's actually really interesting. So I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm up with the kids about seven o'clock and I, I start working at eight and then, cause I'm doing a lot of work with uh, businesses in Australia just now. And, um, so I'm typically on, on a call at eight o'clock and a call at half past eight which is five o'clock, half past five, uh, their time in Australia. Um, and then I'm working through till 11 o'clock. Between 11 and one, I take over the kids. So my wife has the kids until, until 11 o'clock. I then have them between 11 and one. And then uh, we're, we're very lucky. We have an au pair. So at one o'clock, uh, our au pair takes over the kids and it's back to work for the rest of the day. So, you know, although I'm, I've got two hours in the middle of the day where I'm, I'm stepping away from work and looking after the kids, I am I'm making up for it, of course, at other times. But... Um, the other thing is that, you know, doing, doing that kind of working in that way, I'm, do, I'm doing like 30 to 60 minute meetings, like pretty much nonstop, like every single hour nonstop. So I, I am doing like seven to 10 Skype, um, never Skype, ideally seven to 10 meetings on zoom or something like that pretty much every day. And, uh, by the time, the, by the time I've then put the kids to bed and whatever, half seven, eight o'clock. I, there are some things I need to tidy up and whatever, but I've done a really good day's work. I've not spent three hours traveling, four hours, five hours traveling in that day, and you know, haven't have another five hours worth of actual work to catch up with. So, you know, the the inability to go anywhere, the necessity to be stuck in a compound, um, has just made me think about a you know, different way of living. So, where you where do you live again? South side of Glasgow. So I'm very very lucky. I've not been as I've never felt as blessed to have a garden. Um, you know, Scotland's not necessarily known for its tropical climate, of course. Um, and I, I just can't believe how good weather we've had yeah. during lockdown. Well, I mean, been, I've literally got a tan. It's been since the day, hasn't it? Since it, since it closed down, we've almost had sun consistently. I mean, there was a couple of rainy days. And I feel like I've been in this room looking out that window at it every day. I've not got the tan that you've got, but it's, uh, I'll have to get working on that. Um, but it definitely makes a difference that you can... You know, if this had have happened in, I don't know, February or January when, when it was crap or even before Christmas, it had been a lot. Yeah. Different. Um, what? So you talked about the travel piece. It's probably an interesting point, right? Because recruitment in general, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like I was I was trained originally in Melbourne in Australia and I worked on a, on a Victorian government desk. And my office was in the old the Rialto Towers in Melbourne. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's a twin towers. And you could walk 10 minutes up Collins Street to the government square, basically. And it was just department after department. So when I 
I did about 18 months there. I got like a big contractor book because I just used to go and have coffee with everyone. And, and actually, I loved it. I put a lot of weight on drinking full fat milk all day, but that's a different question. Well, the coffee's good there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's really good. But then when I moved to London, I would join Venquist and I was doing IT and business change into the Lloyds of London insurance market. And it was exactly the same. The Gherkin is just a square mile of insurance companies all having coffees and beers from about 11 o'clock on a Monday. But um, yeah. so I just did the same thing. I replicated. And I chose Venquist mainly because of the way they worked. I knew it was going to be replicable, whereas other agencies even then were doing like tech international. And I was like, I can't see myself being chained to a desk. Um, yeah. So I was trained to be face-to-face. And I spent hours face I think I did 32 meetings in my first week at Venquist face-to-face. Mm. Nuts. But... In the last year, I'd already transitioned about 80% of my stuff onto video. So yeah. I was already thinking that. Um, how do you think the, the recruitment old school, if you like, you know, you say yeah. 1999 and, and earlier, how do you think those on the whole are, are coping with this right now? Do you think there's a lot of people enjoying it in a similar boat or is there a lot of people hating life? It's forced a lot of people to uh, do things that are not what, what, what's, what they're used to. Um, and really, I've spoken to several recruitment agency owners and CEOs that I know who have said what I just said about, I've got to know my daughter better. They've got to know their kids better because they're not out from you know, 6 a.m. until 8 p.m., 9 p.m. They're, they're, not doing, they're not working and living like that anymore. I think beyond recru- in recruitment and beyond, you've got CEOs who today are working in the way that you and I are talking to each other right now. You know, we're, we can is a podcast but we can see each other online and whatever mm-hmm. so you know there's going to be a lot of ceos going hold on the world hasn't stopped just because i wasn't in that boardroom face to face with those people just because i didn't go and see my customer in you know manila or paris or wherever actually i'm getting on just as well with my customers even though i'm not in the same room as them um and so because those people have adapted they're going to realize there's a lot of efficiency I could create within my business from this. So I think business travel, you know, British, British Airways said it's going to be three years or two years, was it, before it's going to get flight levels back to what it was. Yeah. I think it's going to be 10 years yeah. before, the, before, you know, 2019 levels of flying is happening again. I think, and that's only going to be because of population increase. So I, I don't think that we're going to be traveling the way that we were. I don't think there's going to be a need uh, to, go and, to go and visit people the way that there was. And more poignantly, actually, for the workplace and the workforce, what this means, I think, is companies are going to be much less considering who are the best people I can hire within a 15-mile radius or a 45-minute radius of my office. They're going to be thinking about who's the best person in, in, in who are the best, who are the best, who are the people, who are the best people in the UK to do this job? Or who are the best people in my time zone to do this job? Yeah. Not who can get to the office every day. Yeah, I spoke, I spoke to five major employers last week who said they are looking at uh, completely changing their priorities around talent pipelines. So it's, it's not about who's local. Let's, let's build up an addressable market of all the local talent. It's about actually who is the best talent, but across the UK. If they can get to the office one day a week, that's what we want. You know, that was what one, one big retail company said. We're going to be, instead of, instead of four days a week in the office and one from home, we're going to reverse it. We, we're, we're going to want them to be in the office one day a week. And that might be overnight at the travel lodge the, day before, the, you know, the night before, on the Sunday night or on the Thursday night or whatever. 
Um, but you know, that's what 40, 40 quid in a, you know, outside of London, 50 quid. Um, so that's not a, not a big problem. Um, so I, I think it's going to completely change the way that we structure our workforce. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm personally that exact same. I want to go from having an off. We used to have this office in the, in, you know, in a space where we could fit about 15 of us, but we had about 22 people. So when everyone came, some never came in because they were traveling the world, they were copywriters and stuff. It was mainly the, the essential roles were like account management sales and a couple of internal creatives that were in the office and the rest were people that didn't have to be. Um, do you know what I've found the biggest change though is as soon as we went remote, the people that were working remote became instantly closer to the rest of the team. So like mm, yeah. I had a social guy called Rafa who does amazing things on paid media. He, even though he lives in Kingston, he was, he was basically like, he came into the office one day a week and he, it always felt a little bit like, you know, he's just slightly outside of the group. Like he's the, jo- the inner jokes and everything was just not quite the same. Whereas now I think he's like, it's just one of the rest. And it, it, I think that's been great. But for me, I'm reversing it. I want to have a smaller, we used to have a, a small office with a breakout downstairs co-working where you could go and have meetings one-on-ones. And then I used to have to pay for a meeting room if I wanted to have like a formal meeting in a nice room. Whereas I want to turn my office into the formal meeting room. They're not, well, not formal, but, you know, some yeah, yeah, yeah. dedicated, cool space of a meeting or a podcast or record video. And then downstairs, which was breakout, is where people can go and work if they come yeah. in. And yeah. so it's flipping it. So not, we were spending twice. We were spending on the office and on the rooms. Whereas just have one cool space and have everyone enjoying the co-working functionality. So that, that's my, my vision is to flip even the way, not only the hours, but the way the office looks and the design of it. What, why do we need everyone sat around at one table anymore? If they're, not, they're not used to doing it now. So it'd be weird to go back. Interesting. So I'm going to do, do a survey, an anonymous survey. We've got 16 people. And I'm just going to say to them, do, um, you know, as of right now, would you prefer to work from home permanently, work from the office permanently, or have a daily choice of where you work? And I think there's probably going to be nobody that will say, say, I want to, you know, mandatory work from home or mandatory work from the office. I, I'm fully expecting that all 16 people are going to go, I want the choice of where I work whenever I want to work. You know, do you want to work on the beach? Yeah, fine. Do you want to work? As long as you're getting your job done, you're doing a great job. I don't care if they're on the moon. It doesn't make any difference to me. So we, I mean, we definitely had a couple of people in the business that I think have, have felt it's important we're all in the same room and we're all together and whatever. But I know for a fact, because I've spoken to both of these people, they don't think that anymore. Mm. A quick interruption of the episode to bring to you a message from our second sponsor, which is Odro. Odro, as most of you probably know, is the world's most powerful all-in-one video interview platform for recruiters. Used by thousands of recruiters worldwide and with some of the industry's biggest names amongst its client base, Odro is a video interview platform. It was developed specifically to help agencies increase their revenues. The most innovative solution on the market, Odro's software helps recruiters to engage more talent, reduce time to hire, and most importantly, it helps you win business. You'll even get the ROI back from investing in Odro within just 45 days. It's designed to benefit everyone in the process. So from recruiters to clients to candidates, Odro's platform is improving the hiring process one interview at a time. We chose to partner with Odro because we felt like both brands, Hoxo and Odro, were in such a clear alignment in the way that we approach everything we do 
and how passionate we are about helping this industry grow. If you want to find out more about how Odro can help your agency transform its process and win more business, win exclusivity and drive revenue, then click the link on the podcast notes and every social post that goes out and they will, you will get a call back by one of the Odro guys. They're, they are awesome and I'm sure they'll be able to offer some amazing value to your business. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. We are, I mean, we definitely had a couple of people in the business that I think have, have felt it's important we're all in the same room and we're all together and whatever. But I know for a fact, because I've spoken to both of these people, they don't think that anymore. Hmm. The, the other thing I'm thinking, though, is are we going to be so desperate for human interaction by the time it changes that we might all go, well, actually, we will travel further and we will drive and we will, because we've missed it and it's been, been so restrictive, are we going to go overboard back, not, not so much back to the old way, but like just crave that? It might not be, it, it might be a short-lived thing, but you could have an intense period where everyone's trying to be around each other. Interesting, I, interesting question. I, I, know, I know some people who are really, really looking forward to that and uh, you know, they, they have really missed uh, actual face-to-face interaction you know, in, in the same place. You know, going for a beer with somebody or, or going for a meal or something like that. Um, but then I, I, I know other people who, you know, as soon as we're out of lockdown, they're not going to be jumping on flights anytime this year. You know, they're not going to be going anywhere anytime this year. I spoke to somebody this morning who said, um, wh- where was she? She was, in, um, she was in Australia and she said, uh, yeah, they're opening up. Yeah, she was in Australia. She said they're opening up certain things that you can go and do, go and have, restu- go and have meals in restaurants and things like that. Uh, at like 50% capacity. And she said, like, my family and I are not going to be going out for meals for quite a while, you know, regardless of the fact that we can. So everybody's going to be going to be chain, going to have a different view on this. And some people are going to be feeling very isolated and very lonely and very unhappy as a result of this. And I, I totally appreciate that. Uh, whereas other people, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll feel the opposite. They, they won't be bothered about ever returning to what we had. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah. One thing I was interested to know about, I mean, we had a chat with Hung Lee as well on, on the show recently, it was about the in-house community because you've gone agency, your focus, your product is very in-house focused. Um, how have you seen your in-house clients be affected by, by this pandemic? Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's, this is, again, a really interesting question. So, yeah, 70% of my customers are, are in-house talent acquisition teams and and 30% are agencies. And so um, on, on the in-house side, companies are go- have gone from anywhere between, we, we've seen companies that have pretty much stopped operations and they have actually made, re- made talent acquisition people redundant. And then I've seen other businesses where hiring has increased. So it's really remarkable. Our customers are predominantly in STEM type industries. And so, you know, naturally there's been maybe less, they're not, they're not consumer facing brands. And so there's probably been less impact. You know, you're not going to suddenly have data scientists walking around London, wearing a sandwich board saying you're available. Mm. You're not going to have that now. These people are in high demand. And actually I think because of COVID-19, a lot of companies are accelerating their tech programs. A lot of non-tech companies are accelerating the move to becoming tech businesses. So I, I think that um, you know, hiring in areas like science, technology, engineering, these areas, 
um, has for a lot of businesses, it's either maintained or it's actually gone up. Um, a lot of consumer facing brands that are like in home into entertainment, things like um, Domino's, uh, Just Eat, uh, businesses like oh, Ubisoft who make computer games, you know, they're accelerating things because they think people are going to spend more time at home. Um, and you know, they're going to need more in home entertainment. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been, been, been interesting, but I, I mean, I feel awful for, of course, the people in companies where they furloughed their TA teams, they've made even worse, made redundant their TA teams. Um, but I think by the end of this year, things will start to even out. I don't, I don't believe there's going to be vastly bigger numbers of people unemployed at the end of this year compared to the beginning of this year in the UK anyway. Um, because we're already quite a knowledge-intensive kind of country. We're not a big manufacturing country like we once were, no. you know, like Germany is or a lot of other European countries or the USA is. We don't make nearly as much stuff as they do. We design satellites, you know. We do, we, we do things that are, you know, we, we, we've got a much more, you know, using your brain type of um, and selling what's in your brain type of economy than, than most other countries do. So um, I, I think that that's one thing that... Um, probably is in, in our favor in the UK. And that's probably the first nice thing I've said about the UK in quite a few years because we've had a bit of a period of... I know. Well, your product, though, so like for people that don't know, what, what does it, in, in the shortest way possible to describe it, what does it do? It tracks and scores people's interactions with your content. Um, and so the benefits of being able to see who's clicking on your tweets, who's watching your videos on YouTube, who's looking at your profile on LinkedIn... The benefits of doing that is you can build up um, a really good picture every single day of who are the hot sales leads or who are, who are the hot candidate leads. Um, and so what's changed since when I started in recruitment is that candidates can get, a, or, or sales prospects, but let's focus on candidates. Candidates can get a lot of information about job opportunities today. You know, they can, they can check out a recruitment agency's uh, credentials. They can see their consultant's profile on, on social media and determine whether they think that person looks credible. They can see their recommendations on LinkedIn. Um, they can see reviews on review sites of what it was like to work with that recruitment business. And, um, you know, they, they, they don't really need to talk to a recruiter until they've decided, yes, I want to talk to that business. I want them to represent me. Whereas, um, when I started in recruitment back in 99, I would post a two sentence line advert in the back of the newspaper and a candidate would call me and the first thing they would ask is, uh, is that my job that you're advertising? Because if so, obviously I don't want to apply. Um, so they, they didn't know anything. All they had was two sentences, my name and phone number. And they, they'd have to call me at the very beginning of their decision-making stage, where decision-making process, whereas now, they can get right through a lot of their decision-making before talking to a recruiter. So this is, I think, why we want to fill in the blanks in the background in terms of who's cold and who's warm and who's higher ready. That's the way that I categorize candidates, cold, warm, higher ready. Who's cold, warm, and higher ready based on their interactions with your content? And if recruiters are spending all their time talking to candidates who are higher ready or maybe warm and higher ready, and they've got technology doing the heavy lifting and nurturing all those that are cold, you know, taking the much more marketing-led approach, uh, marketing automation led approach, then recruiters are going to spend a lot more of their time really doing deals. So, so that's what candidate ID is all about. And how have you seen 
how have you been affected by this? Like everyone's been affected in some way. What what was the impact on your your business and how you were because you're you you know you're tech growing, getting investment, all these different things happening. Yeah, I mean, um, I've been lucky. I've been lucky in a couple of regards. So we closed an investment round, basically pretty much about two weeks into the lockdown. Um, you know, it was it was it was kind of signed. It was kind of signed a couple of weeks before, but uh, like in ter- the term sheet stage. But it, it all landed about two weeks into lockdown. So, I mean, that timing could not have been better. Yeah. That was the first thing. The second thing is that actually we we spent eighteen months rebuilding our product to make it make it much much easier to use. And what we've been offering since March is a much, much kind of, you know, paint by numbers version of, of, of what, it, what it used to be. So um, a lot more people are looking at our product videos and going, hey, I can do that. Whereas previously they were looking at it and going, I'm not some sort of, you know, nuclear physicist, which is what you might need to use to, you know, to be to use the, the old candidate ID or at least some sort of serious digital marketing expert. Um, so that, that, that was a good thing. We have lost, we've, sorry, I say lost. We've had quite a few customers went on pause, customers who were at the, um, in, in the sort of trial phase or in the kind of, you know, early phase of using candidate ID and they could go on pause. So um, I'm expecting all of them to come back um, kind of probably Q3, to be fair. Um, but then we've replaced that with new customers as well. So uh, one of the other benefits, I guess, of people not being able to travel has been a lot of people have got through their to-do list. So a lot of people have had a to-do list of important non-urgent, and they've got to the important non-urgent things, and they're going, yeah, I've been meaning to look at candidate ID for the last two years now. I'm, I'm, I'm now going to do it because my CFO is telling every department in our company that we need to work out ways of automating. We need to work out ways of doing more with less. We need to work out ways of being more, more productive. And so that candidate ID looks like it might fit into that kind of enabler category. So um, I think, you know, I've, I've had a lot, of, um, a lot of sales interest as a result of organizational, you know, organizational priorities around productivity and cost cost savings and things like that so a few different answers to your question yeah it's, it's, it's look i think you uh you're in a good position because it's you know there's a monthly recurring revenue model in the tech space that um a lot of a lot of the, i think the the recruiters i've spoken to that don't have contract businesses have, have, have felt felt it i think and um while some are still hiring contractors and there's others that have got no contract business and and they've not even got the skills or knowledge to win contract business. So, you know, perm, if you're reliant hundred percent on perm revenue, that, that could be really tricky and really scary times. Um, so it's, you know, I'm glad that you've, you're in that, that type of position. Well, how do you see COVID-19 affecting or changing the way your, um, your business moves in the future from where you were, you know, your, your aspirations, your vision two months ago as compared to where it is today? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it changes anything. To be honest, our goal our goal was our goal was to double revenue in 2020. Um, that's what we told our investors we would do, and that's what I'm still committed to doing, and still think we can achieve. So I think that's that's one uh, thing which remains unchanged. I think we have probably become more focused in terms of the types of companies and industries that we're focused on. 
So yeah, I mean, we, we know we now know very very clearly the companies that have not have not put candidate ID on hold, they're in STEM. They're hiring engineers and data scientists and things like that, and that's not going to change. So I I uh, I think that we continue to go you know feet first straight into STEM industries. So any recruitment businesses that are focused on STEM industries or any employers focused on that, um, you know, they're they're the targets much much more so than than companies that are hiring reason, more easy people to, to hire. Yeah, yeah. Um, they just don't have the same kind of needs, and, and that's our thinking on that's probably accelerated. Um, the other thing that is a trend which I'm seeing um, emerging is internal talent acquisition teams being asked progressively more to start working out what does our internal talent pipeline look like? Where are our skills in the business? Um, you know, get together a scales matrix and let's um, store the data. Let's also encourage people to put their hand in the air for, for, for internal jobs. And let's create much more of an internal talent brokerage service. Mm-hmm. And that's something, instead of losing people outside because they go into a job which actually we were already hiring for internally and they were just never approached about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing a lot of talent acquisition teams being asked to take on that level of responsibility as well. And lo and behold, there are no tech systems that really do that. There's no, the HR systems just don't really do that. So the ability to nurture internal talent pipelines and have real-time access to who are the people that are, interested in looking at new opportunities today. That's something that we've got several customers um, who have come on to, or sorry, who have, um, who have extended their use of candidate ID for. Um, and, and this also fits in with the concept of the more fragmenting workforce. So I think in five years time, we're gonna have, look, a, a, most businesses are gonna have smaller um, permanent workforces as the move towards you know, the, the gig economy, freelancing, uh, contracting. I mean, I know this changes to, to do with the way people want to contract because of IR35 and that kind of thing. But um, I think people do want to be a bit more, they're not as bound to full-time permanent, I'm on the payroll as they were before. And so as a result of that, the need to have more um, transparency around what is my talent pipeline, because it's going to be such, so much more of a moving feast than it was even five years ago. Um, you know, it's so much more dynamic than it was five years ago. People change jobs more often. That's another thing. People, every year that goes past, the average person is moving job um, one month faster than they, than they were. I think it's like two and a, every two and a half years on average, somebody moves jobs in the UK. Um, this time next year, it's two years and five months. This time the year after, two years and four months. And that's the way it's been coming down. So even if you don't hire any extra people next year, you're probably still going to be doing more recruitment. You know, so I, I do believe, I'm not sure our vision is going to change very much, but I think the extension of, of your talent pipe, external talent pipelines into looking at the total talent pipeline, including all your internal people, is a trend that I see uh, emerging. And, and I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm just more and more confident every month that goes past that we're in a good position to, what, to cater to that. What do you think of the, uh, the reality of, training junior people but but in, in in all sectors like that's the that's the pocket i'm most worried about is the kind of graduate and early 20s community that you know that were given opportunity at scale before that maybe 
maybe I've heard so many conversations about, do you know what, we're going to stick with experienced people in recruitment, but also our clients are only going over to, after top talent. They're going to try and keep it lean, automate as much as they can. Do you think there'll still be that opportunity for young people to go and try industries and try jobs at the same pace as they could before? I mean, I think that, yeah, I do. I don't, I don't, I don't see that that's really going to change. I, I, I know where you're coming from because if you look at recruitment businesses and you look at who they furloughed and who they haven't furloughed, typically they furloughed people who have got less experience. Um, and I can, I can really kind of understand why to an extent. But a company's talent strategy is very much you know, guides, I don't think that's going to change. And that very much guides the amount of opportunities they create for early, early careers people. I spent three years working at PwC, for example. PwC is an education business. Mm. You know, they hire, they've got, they've got 18,000 people in the UK, of which like 6,000 are brand new every year, you know, and 6,000 will leave. 6,000 are graduates. And then 6,000 qualify, and a lot of those people move off into industry at that point. It's the same with recruitment businesses. You know, we know the companies that, that do a lot of tra- Hayes is the one is the most famous one. Hayes Hayes typically people go go there, they get great training and they leave three years, you know, they leave they leave after three years, probably to get paid more somewhere else. Um, if they're not progressing as fast as they want to within Hayes. Of course we know, you know, a lot of the good people the, the very best people, they probably progress within Hayes and they stay at the business. Mm. But um, you know, Michael Page, Reed, these companies have all got graduate programs and I don't think uh, that's gonna change. Um, but I, I, I do I, I do understand your point. One one thing I would definitely recommend for anybody who is thirty or under is get into technology. Um, any any anybody I've done I've done talks at, at my old school. I, I do talks for young people occasionally, and my number one bit of advice is get into some kind of STEM industry if you're not naturally a left-brained person and like maths and science is not your absolute forte, it doesn't matter because um, tech businesses need salespeople. Tech businesses need, and you can develop, without being a technologist, you can develop like a lot of expertise in, in the tech industry that will keep you very safe in a future career. Mm. You know, so I, I'd far rather be in something like, um, you know, tech sales today than selling you know a lot of other more traditional industries which are maybe going to be less needed in the future yeah and i guess that goes for recruitment businesses focusing on tech and tech industry as well right um Adam, that's all i've got time for today but um thank you so much mate for taking the time out i'm glad that personally things are going well for you and uh let's check in again soon uh, are you open to any of my listeners reaching out if they want to find out a bit more about candidate id or just pick your brains on stuff Absolutely. I'm very easy to find online. And in terms of the, the fastest way to give it contact with me, adam at candidate.id. Wicked. All right. I'll get people doing that. Thank you. And we'll check in soon. Guys, hope you enjoyed another episode of the Rag Report. Um, as I always say, I don't charge you to listen, but I do ask for one favor. And that is that you share this episode. You pass it on to a friend, a colleague, someone you think in our industry will benefit from hearing these stories on a day-to-day basis. Um, in the meantime, uh, I want you to stay safe. I'll be back again tomorrow, but stay safe. Uh, you know, keep, keep in touch with the right people. Keep focused, keep positive because we'll get through this together and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. 
we felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online, and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much, and we will see you again soon.